Welcome to Diabetes Unplugged. Welcome to Diabetes Unplugged, where we shine light on life beyond the diagnosis and redefine the way we approach diabetes wellness. In today's episode, we are talking about the three most forgotten tools for regulating blood sugar. Now, I wanted to do this episode because I can pretty much guarantee, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, that once you got diagnosed with diabetes after kind of the initial denial of it all, once you started to be like, well, damn, I really got this thing, right? Like, this is for real. So once you once you kind of reach that point and you started toying around with some of the changes that you might want to start making in order to get your blood sugar in check, under control, balanced, right? Your mind probably went immediately to, number one, your diet. So specifically cutting out carbs and sugar. The second thing is probably working out. So, you know, you might have started walking more or going to the gym. Maybe you got a personal trainer, something like that. And I think ultimately the mentality is that these two things combined would result in weight loss. And if you can lose weight, then you can reverse diabetes. And yeah, I completely understand that way of thinking. I understand that theory, right? Because most people, when they get diagnosed with diabetes, they're overweight. Like diabetes is looked at as, a fat person disease. And that's where most of us kind of get it wrong. Now, granted, being overweight can definitely contribute towards certain metabolic disorders. Diabetes is one of them, you know, hypertension, heart disease, all those things. So I'm not saying that weight loss isn't important. But what I am saying is that weight loss is not the magic pill for diabetes reversal. There are a lot of people who have lost you know, a hundred plus pounds or more, and they're still insulin resistant. So you can lose weight and still not reverse the root cause of diabetes, which is that insulin resistance, right? And also on the opposite end of that, you can also carry a small frame and still be diabetic. So it's usually a term that's referred to called skinny fat. The first thing that you need to understand if your goal is to reverse diabetes is what is the root cause of diabetes? What is happening internally that makes my body unable to use glucose the way that it was intended? And once you understand that, you can kind of start to understand why diet and exercise, while they are definitely important and they should be a part of your plan to reverse the diabetes, there are also some other tools that you need in order to well, I guess I'll say there's things that you're going to need in addition to those things that are going to be vital in helping you to naturally balance your blood sugar, lower your A1C, and eliminate your need for diabetes medications like insulin and metformin. And that's what we're going to talk about in today's episode, the three most forgotten tools for blood sugar regulation. So we're going to hop right in with the first tool. And the first tool is actually hydration. Now, I need you to realize that your body is made up of over 70% water, and yet water is literally the number one nutrient deficiency in the world. And I think that's because when we're thinking about nutrients, we're only thinking about food, but water is so important for the overall function of your body. Now, in order for you to understand the significance of hydration as it relates to being able to regulate your blood sugar, we need to address the role that your kidneys play 
in regulating blood sugar. So first off, diabetes is the leading cause of chronic kidney disease. So one in three people with diabetes will develop chronic kidney disease. And even though individual circumstances can vary, the risk of developing CKD can be significantly increased depending on the duration of time that you've been diabetic, how well you are managing your blood sugar levels, and then even the status of like your blood pressure because your kidneys control that too. So how this works is when your blood sugar levels are elevated, your kidneys act as a sort of backup system to help eliminate the excess glucose from your bloodstream. So your kidneys are your body's, I guess we'll say filtration system. So when your cells in your liver and your muscles are unable to take in the excess glucose from your bloodstream because of insulin resistance, your kidneys are going to filter your blood and remove the excess glucose from your body through your urine. So that is why, you know, symptoms like frequent urination is one of the signs of diabetes along with excessive thirst. But what you have to realize is this is causing your kidneys to overwork themselves, especially if your blood sugar is high and you're not doing anything to increase or at least help increase insulin sensitivity. So this is putting excess pressure on your kidneys to now operate over time in order to keep things running smoothly. But then when you add dehydration on top of that, then you're really sort of burning the candle at both ends. So not only are your kidneys overworking in regards to, you know, regulating your blood sugar levels, but in the process of doing so, they have to pull water from wherever they can in order to even flush out the excess glucose. So that means they're pulling water from, you know, obviously like your bloodstream, but you're they're pulling it from the surrounding tissues of your body. So that's why you know, you might have like dry skin and stuff like that because your body is having to pull all the moisture that it can in order to keep your blood sugar balanced, okay? So I want you to think of it like this. I want you to imagine that you are at work and let's say you have a stack of papers on your desk to get through with all kinds of tasks that you need to accomplish before the day is done. And let's say there are other people on your team that have just as many tasks to complete as you do. So everybody got a job, right? And not only that, you're working so hard that you can't take any breaks. You don't have time for breaks, but you're also not allowed to go home <laughs> until all the work is finished. Things are just going crazy in the office. Everybody's everywhere. And just when you thought that you were done, here comes another stack of papers on your desk <laughs> that you have to get done as soon as possible. So now work is just overflowing. How overwhelmed would you be? How ready to quit would you be? That is what it is like for your kidneys when they are having to help regulate blood sugar on top of the other roles that they play in keeping your body functioning properly. But then let's say, that in comes a new team member. And this new team member has the ability to take some of the things off your plate. Their role is to come in and lighten your load. How relieved would you be for someone to come in and be like, I got that for you. I could take that for you. Cause you already got a lot of stuff going on. So someone's coming in and be like, I got this. Let me lighten your load. When you are properly hydrated, and the key word is properly. When you are properly hydrated, 
that's like giving your kidneys a helping hand. So adequate hydration helps your kidneys so that they can adequately filter your blood and regulate your blood sugar and maintain a proper balance of that sugar to water ratio in your bloodstream. It's also going to help with overall blood flow because water helps to get things moving and you need that in order to help your body eliminate what it no longer needs to be holding on to. So whether that be glucose or toxins or excess hormones, whatever, it doesn't matter. Your body is made up of water and it cannot generate its own water or it can only generate, I think it's like 8% maybe of its own water. So the point is that it relies on you to replenish what it's losing from its day-to-day operations. So this is why you want to strive for consuming at least, and this is like on the low end, at least half your body weight in ounces on a daily basis, because then you can ensure at minimum that your body has enough of what it needs to at least keep your blood sugar under control. And that's really important. What I also want to mention though, too, because again, yes, water is very, very important. We're talking about blood flow. We're talking about getting, you know, hormones moving and all those kinds of things, right? Being able to deliver the right amount of hormones or get rid of excess hormones that your body needs, like, or that your body doesn't need. So water is to get things moving and that's really important. But water is actually not the best way to hydrate yourself. It's not the best way. It is a good way, but it is not the best way. Because when we're talking about hydration, the only way to really hydrate yourself is if you have electrolytes. Electrolytes are what hydrate you. Water is going to have that flow and get things moving, which is really important. But sometimes we can get to a place where we're downing all of this water and we're excreting a lot of the electrolytes out of our body too. And so what I will say is, I'm not saying don't drink water, still strive for at least that, you know, half your body weight in ounces every single day for water. But then you want to incorporate the electrolytes. And there's a few ways to get electrolytes in. You can use, you know, salt. So high quality salt, meaning what I like to use is called Redmond's Real Salt. Or you can do like Celtic Sea Salt. What you can do, you know, is number one, realize that you are the most um, dehydrated first thing in the morning because you haven't been drinking water throughout the night, right? So after dinner or whatever, before you go to bed, you know, you stop drinking water usually and you go at least, you know, six to eight hours without replenishing. So in the morning, that is when you are the most dehydrated. And so you want to optimize your hydration upon waking up. And so one of the best ways to do that is by, you know, getting your water and you can put you know, half a teaspoon of high quality sea salt in your water, you know, shake it up so it dissolves and then drink that down. And that is going to give your body a good flush of electrolytes in order to make sure that you're optimally hydrated. Because when you start the day like that, you're more likely to continue on a good path throughout the day. So that's one thing that you can do for proper hydration. The next thing that you can do and what actually is the foundation of what I teach inside the five-day blood sugar reboot and Dominating Diabetes Academy is starting your day with fruit because fruit is so powerful because yes, it's high in water, right? Like when you're eating things like melons or pineapples or, you know, cucumbers, which is part of the melon family or just high water content fruits, 
yes, you have the water in there, but you also have the fiber in there. And then you also have the electrolytes in there as well. So first thing in the morning and what I personally do on doesn't matter the time of year, doesn't matter. It does not matter. I'm always starting my day with fruit. No ifs, ands, or buts about it because that is going to optimize my hydration. It's also going to stimulate a bowel movement. It's all about eating according to the circadian rhythm, which we'll have to talk about in another episode. But fruit is another way to optimally hydrate yourself, specifically first thing in the morning when your body's number one priority is detoxing. You want to be able to put things kind of in the tank that's going to optimally support your body's ability to do that. So you have high quality sea salt, you have fruit. Another thing that you can do is like get like an electrolyte drink powder. So I know that Redmond's has a really good one. I haven't tried it myself, but I've heard great things about it. Some people do like liquid IV. Other people do one, like another one that I've tried is called Ultima, I think it is. And that was really good as well. So you can do like different drink powders and stuff like that. The point is you want to get those electrolytes in so that your body is able to hold on to what it needs and eliminate what it doesn't need, okay? So that's the very first step or the very first tool is optimal hydration. The second most forgotten tool for blood sugar regulation is adequate sleep. Now, I am, let's say flabbergasted at the mindset that a lot of people have around sleep. Now, don't get me wrong. I completely understand, let's say the joy that comes with staying up late. I feel like for most people, it's sort of like a rebellious act against our parents, right? And just as feeling like, you know, we're grown, so we can do whatever we want to do and nobody can tell us, you know, anything really. Nobody can tell us, hey, it's time for you to go to sleep. You know what I mean? Because we're grown, right? And you're right. Like that's the beauty of of being grown is doing what you want to do, especially after having like a long day at work or dealing with kids. Like the nighttime routine is ghetto when you have when you have kids. Like you're trying to get dinner done, bath time, homework, all the things. And I can speak on it because I have a seven year old who literally fights me every night and pretends like he doesn't know that he's gonna have to go to sleep eventually. Like I don't understand. So I I get it. But after having all that chaos. Having that time to yourself to, I don't know, whether it's binge watching your favorite TV shows, you know, eating your favorite snacks that you've been hiding in your nightstand, or just having a good old, you know, time of peace to yourself, that is everything. It is everything. And there's nothing wrong with that. I just don't think that it's being executed optimally. Like, we want to take it the extra mile sometimes and into the wee hours of the morning and then think that we're getting ready to turn around and get up for work at the butt crack of dawn and everything's going to be all peachy key only to realize that your blood sugar is through the roof you can't think straight without coffee your energy is non-existent and if somebody talks to you between the hours like the first time two hours waking up you're getting ready to go upside somebody's head so it doesn't really work as well as I think we think it will in our mind, like when we're in that time of, yeah, I'm just going to stay up, watch my shows, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be fine the next morning. And it's like, well, you might need to reconsider the whole act of rebellion from the night before. So sleep is essential because not, I mean, not just so that you can have energy the next day, but also so that you can regulate your hormones and increase insulin sensitivity. At the end of the day, when you are diabetic, everything that you, you do needs to go towards increasing that insulin sensitivity. Point blank period. That just is like kind of like tough love and the hard truth, right? 
So when you're staying up all night, you are having to train certain hormones or not even having to, you have trained certain hormones to also be released all night when they shouldn't be. So like cortisol and adrenaline and those kinds of things. Cortisol is the stress hormone. So how cortisol works is it's naturally highest in the daytime because that's how your body wakes up and it has the ability to handle your day-to-day tasks, right? But as the day goes on, your cortisol levels get released less and less. And this is because at a certain time, melatonin needs to start being released so that you can go to sleep at a decent time. And this is all according to, like I said before, your circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is what regulates your sleep and your wake cycles and your hormones are released in alignment with that. But when you are prolonging sleep or you have inconsistent sleep patterns, meaning one day you're going to sleep at nine, the next day you're going to sleep at midnight, third day is 2 a.m., you're confusing your body and your cortisol is continuing to be released well into the night. And this is going to throw off your circadian rhythm and therefore your hormone levels are going to be all over the place. And cortisol suppresses the release of melatonin. So now you're really not going to sleep. On top of that, and this this varies by person, but cortisol can also trigger the increase of the hunger hormone called ghrelin. So if you ever notice that the later you stay up, the more you want to eat, that's because ghrelin is being released. But if you were going to sleep at a decent time, consistently cortisol wouldn't be triggering ghrelin. So you wouldn't be taking in those extra calories, which contributes to weight gain, which then increases insulin resistance. And then you're waking up with elevated glucose levels because when cortisol is being released at night, it not only triggers the release of ghrelin, but it also triggers the liver to start dumping all of its stored glucose back into your bloodstream. So your blood sugar is already going to be elevated simply because cortisol is present. But if you're snacking on Pop-Tarts and chocolate cake or you're ordering fast food, you know, while watching Bobby Flay, the introduction of processed carbs and fatty foods is going to make your blood sugar skyrocket even higher. So it's going to be imperative for glucose purposes. And if you don't want to have such unpredictable blood sugar levels that you start getting adequate sleep. And this doesn't mean that you're never going to have nights where you stay up later and you watch your favorite show on Wednesday night or whenever it comes on or you watch, you know, Monday night basketball or whatever have you, you know what I'm saying? But it does mean that you are going to need to get to a place where you can be disciplined enough to go to bed at 10, 1030. And if you're currently staying up until two or three o'clock in the morning, you're going to probably need to ease your way to this. You know what I mean? Maybe you start with going to bed at midnight. Then you ease your way back a little bit more. Again, because it's never about going from zero to 100. You know what I'm saying? It's always about honoring the baby steps. But for optimal sleep, you know, 10, 10, 30 is going to be that sweet spot. And then, you know, eight hours later, you're going to be waking up at 6 a.m. Like you want to strive for anywhere between, you know, six and a half to eight hours of sleep every night. And again, this also, the quality is what matters. The quality of sleep is what matters more than the quantity. You know what I'm saying? But six to eight hours of sleep is going to be optimal. Okay. Now I know for myself, I can get to this place where, you know, I want to stay up late talking on the phone or watching TV or just, you know, doing my thing. But then I turn around and regret it literally every morning. And I'm like, 
tonight I'm going to bed early because again, I think we all know the benefits. We can all see the benefits of doing it. We just want to be hard headed sometimes. That's just the reality. And at first, again, it's hard because you're going to feel like, you know, your body or even your mind just won't turn off, but you have to train it. You have to train it or you have to do other things that are going to be able to help you fall and stay asleep faster and longer. So there's a couple things that you can do in this area too, which is take like magnesium before bed, like take 200 to 300 milligrams of magnesium before bed, specifically magnesium glycinate. That's really helpful because magnesium is going to help to relax your body. Magnesium glycinate is the most absorbable form of magnesium. So that's why I prefer that, that form. If you take that, you know, 30 minutes to an hour before bed, it's going to help with that relaxation. You can also do some journaling. Um, I know that journaling is really helpful because I think a lot of us have a lot of trouble turning our minds off just because we're thinking about like, like we're going over our day, right? Like for me, I mean, I'm just going to tell on myself for me, it's like when I lay down to go to sleep, sometimes it's like, I'm taking an overview of how my day with I'm like, I'm just kind of like, okay, did I do enough today? Did my son get what he needed? Did I accomplish the task that I had on my to-do list? And if I did it, I got to put them on the next day's to-do list. And how am I going to do that the next day when I have all these other tasks that I already need to do? And then I need to clean this and then I need to do this. And then this person needs this. So I'm always like overthinking and going through things in my mind of like what I did, what I could have done better, what I'm going to do the next day, who needs what. And it's always like this overthinking and over-evaluating type of thing. And that just keeps my mind going. And when your mind is just constantly going, you might fall asleep, but you're not really like, you're not sleeping. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause your, your brain is awake. So I have found that journaling helps a lot for me in particular, because I get to just, again, write out everything instead of just kind of having it circulate in my mind. I get to bring it out of my mind because your brain is for creating ideas and thinking of ideas and, you know, evaluating ideas, all those kinds of things. It's not the organ. It wasn't designed to hold information. And I think when we're trying to hold on to so many things in our brains and remember all the things, that is what keeps our anxiety elevated. So do some journaling just to remove all the thoughts from your brain and get it out onto some paper. That is really helpful. You can also do things like make a cute little like mocktail with some tart cherry juice because that helps with, you know, the release of melatonin. So the point is you might need to try some different avenues to stimulate sleep. Like right now, another thing that I'm trying is I'm listening to 528 hertz frequencies while I sleep. Let me tell you something. That has been a game changer for me and not just for sleep, but for my anxiety as well. And I, I remember I used to do it a lot before. And I think just with life, lifing, I got away from it. And so now I'm back to listening to the frequencies at night while I sleep. And I find that I just wake up feeling a lot calmer. Like my mind is a lot clearer. I don't feel so like all over the place. So the more that you, you know, practice and you're intentional about some of these practices, the easier it's going to become and you won't feel like it's so hard or like, again, it's taking you so much time to fall and stay asleep. So again, you got to train your body, but right now you've probably trained your body to stay awake 
when it should be sleeping and you're running off of those stress hormones. So you're going to have to retrain it if you want to see those improvements in your blood sugar levels. And the good news is all it takes is like a week, not even kidding. All it takes is like a week. If you start training your body to go to bed at 1030 every night for a week, you are going to be blown away by simply just how much better you feel energy wise. And even when it comes to like brain fog and your ability to think more clearly, like I promise you, it is a game changer. Give yourself a week, not even kidding. Give yourself a week of like discipline. I'm going to bed at 1030 every night and just see how much better you feel. Okay. Which leads me to the third most forgotten tool for blood sugar regulation. And this one might surprise you. It actually, it's probably going to surprise you, but I hate to interrupt this episode because I know that you are thoroughly enjoying it. But before we continue, I wanted to pop in and share something that is really important. If you're frustrated with living with type 2 diabetes and you want to reverse the root cause of this condition and get the best blood sugar of your life while also restoring your body's ability to tolerate carbs, you're going to need a simplified step-by-step plan of action that'll take you from where you are now to where you want to be. Not only that, you're also going to need some expert guidance to get you through this journey. Not because you can't do it on your own, but because you might have some questions and some challenges along the way. Dominating Diabetes Academy is a program that I designed to help you naturally balance your blood sugar while lowering your A1C and eliminating the need for diabetes medications. On top of that, I want you to be able to confidently take charge of your health in as little as 10 weeks. Inside DDA, you're gonna be immersed in a world where food becomes your medicine, your energy level is restored, and unstable blood sugar levels become a distant memory. To learn more about Dominating Diabetes Academy, make sure you check out the link inside the show notes and get started on your plan towards optimal health today. Now, without further ado, let's get back into today's episode. It's breath work. So I mentioned to you how at the very at the very beginning of this episode, I mentioned to you how usually diet and exercise are the first two approaches that someone takes when they're wanting to lead a healthier lifestyle. And one of the main reasons why those two things are so effective is because they both play a role in relieving stress from your body. So like with diet, especially if you're taking on a more plant strong approach, which is what I highly recommend. It's going to relieve your body from the burden of stress that's caused by the overconsumption of processed and fatty foods, right? So it's going to reduce inflammation in particular, and it's also going to play a strong role in increasing insulin sensitivity. Exercise is going to work the same way by relieving that stress on the body that's caused by holding on to excess weight and therefore also reducing inflammation and increasing your body's ability to use glucose effectively. All of that to say, In the world of diabetes management, where the focus often revolves around your diet, well, diet, exercise, and medication, one of the most underestimated and forgotten tools for blood sugar regulation is breath work. Breath work is not talked about enough when it comes to its ability to combat chronic disease because of how it helps with stress management. And if you follow me on any of my other, you know, social media platforms, you know that I talk about stress a lot because lack of proper stress management is the one thing that keeps people having to rely on pharmaceutical medications, especially when you consider the prevalence of depression and diabetes amongst the diabetes community specifically. So when it comes to breath work, and I'm going to actually have a specialist on the podcast to really break this down. But first, 
I think that it's important to understand your nervous system. And I have an entire lesson on this inside Dominating Diabetes Academy because it is really important. But the shortened version of that is basically you have, you know, your autonomic or your central nervous system. And then under that umbrella, you have the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And so the sympathetic nervous system functions like the gas pedal in a car. That is what keeps you revved up in fight or flight mode. And it's unfortunate because that's the state that most people operate in on a day-to-day basis. And if you know anything about the fight or flight response, this is what keeps your blood sugar elevated because cortisol and adrenaline are at an all-time high when this response is triggered. And the reason for that is because you need these hormones in order to quickly respond in the face of a threat. And a threat can be anything that your body, mind, or spirit feels is going to cause any sort of discomfort or hurt or pain or change that is beyond your control. So this could be things like your job or your kids or unpaid bills or moving or the holidays. Like anything can be a threat. So even things that haven't happened yet, like, you know, but you're thinking about. So like, you know how your mind can kind of wander and play out different scenarios in your head. So even that can trigger the fight or flight response. So like I said, most people operate permanently in this space. And it's so much so to the point where being in a state of relaxation or that parasympathetic dominance can be very uncomfortable for some people very uncomfortable. Like I remember I had a client once where, you know, when we're working in a one-on-one setting, you know, you get what's called actionable victories. And they're basically just small actionable steps or goals that you need to accomplish, you know, before our next meeting. And so I had a particular client who her actionable victory was literally just to sit down uninterrupted without her phone, without watching TV, without, you know, entertaining anything, without doing work for five minutes literally set a timer for five minutes and just sit there and do nothing. And she had such a hard time doing that and where it almost put her in a state of panic because her belief or her idea was that if she is not being productive, if she's not being a productive, you know, member of society, that she's wasting time. You know what I'm saying? And that was such a hard thing for her to get over, but that's because she operated in sympathetic dominance for her whole life. And she's never had even an example of someone who has showed her what it's like to not be stressed. So again, it's like the more that you are in sympathetic dominance or fight or flight, the more you increase the likelihood of insulin resistance, like we talked about when we were talking about the importance of sleep. So Breath work is actually going to serve as a bridge between the sympathetic and parasympathetic aspects of the autonomic nervous system or central nervous system, whatever. So by engaging in intentional breathing exercises, so whether that be like diaphragmatic breathing or, you know, deep, slow, deep belly breaths, or there's another technique called the four, seven, eight, I believe it is. So that's kind of like relaxing breath. Or there's even another one that I've tried that I actually really like called box breathing or square breathing. So it's kind of like, you know, you inhale for four, you hold your breath for a count of four and then you exhale for four. So that would be like an example of box breathing. 
So when you kind of intentionally start these breathing exercises, and it's not something that you have to do for a really long time, like literally just five minutes even is great for any of these. But when you do this, you're stimulating your parasympathetic nervous system, which will promote that state of calmness and relaxation. So rather than letting, you know, frustration or anxiety take the reins when you're faced with uncontrollable factors, breath work is going to gently guide your body into that realm of calm and smoothness. So when you're shifting away from that fight or flight reaction, that's going to allow you to think more clearly. And it's also going to grant you a sense of control over the manageable aspects of what is happening in your life. It's also going to help you to regulate your blood sugar because once the fight or flight response is triggered, it takes 20 minutes to come out of it if you are being proactive and doing things like breath work or taking a walk outside or doing other things that are going to create that sense of calm. The problem is that most people are having that fight or flight response triggered and they're just letting it run the show. It's like, well, I'm pissed off now, so F everything. Or, you know, I'm overwhelmed and this is just the way it is and whatever. And we get stuck there. So we're waiting for circumstances to change or the fight or flight response to just decide to give us a break. But that can go on for days or weeks or even months at a time. Like I know for me personally, that's happened to me. I have stayed stuck in fight or flight mode or in like a depressive episode for literal months at a time. You know what I mean? And sometimes we do find ourselves there where we just don't feel like there's anything that we can do. But having that awareness of the tools that you have available for you is going to be really, really important. But you got to be intentional about using them. The tools only work when you use them. I say that all the time. So you have to be proactive when it comes to stress management if you want to manage it effectively. And so with breath work, as stress diminishes through consistent breath work practices, your nervous system is going to find balance. And the breath becomes sort of like a silent conductor so to speak, orchestrating harmony within the body. So your blood sugar is becoming more stable. Your insulin sensitivity is increasing. You're clearing out the brain fog. And, you know, over time, the way that you're responding to certain triggers begins to change, begins to change. You're not doing a lot of, you know, stress and emotional eating. So again, because you're, you have the ability to think straight and you're not just relying on toxic coping methods. So again, I'm not saying that through breath work, you're never going to experience stress or anxiety ever again. But what I am saying is if you start incorporating breath work more intentionally and consistently, you will notice that you will become less triggered and anxious and you won't spend so much time operating and existing in that energy because being stuck in it is what keeps your body off balance. And that's how chronic illnesses or rather the complication of chronic illnesses start to wreak havoc on our bodies, minds, and spirits. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope that you were able to walk away with some valuable information. And I hope that you start incorporating some of these tools and let me know how they work for you. You can also share your thoughts with me over on Instagram, or if you feel inclined, you can leave me a five-star review and let me know what you think of the show. I truly appreciate it. And trust me, all of your feedback is taken into consideration. This has been such an incredible journey and I love that you guys are enjoying it. Until next time, stay well and I will see you in the next episode.